Good morning. We're glad that you could join us this morning. I'll invite us all to stand as we praise the Lord together. He is worthy of our praise. Amen.
morning we recognize you are a God that is bigger than our problems. And help us this morning, Lord, not to tell you how big our problems are, but to tell our problems how big of a God you are. Lord, we thank you that you are stronger. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, why don't we take a few minutes this morning and stand up and let's greet those that are around us. Let's take a few moments to say hello. Well, I know you've been greeted this morning, some of you too much, but that's all right. <laughs> While we review a couple of announcements, will you please pass the friendship pads, the attendance pads on the outside, pass them across. Would you sign in, maybe pay attention to the names of those in the pew with you in case you didn't catch their name during the greeting. If you're with us for the first time, it's our privilege to have you here with us. We ask you to allow us to give you some information on our church. It's a packet that will tell you more about the ministries here at Alden Union. There's also a card in this packet we ask you to take out of the packet, fill out, and put in the offering plate just a little bit later because we want to acknowledge your visit by letter. So if you're first time with us, if you'd raise your hand so Pastor Paul can see you as he comes up the center aisle, keep it up till he's next to you, and he'll make sure you get that packet of information. Uh, we have one more week of summer schedule with our service at this time, combined worship service and Bible school following at 1030. And so this morning with Bible school at 1030, if you... Haven't, aren't in the habit of staying, it'd be a good time to stay. If you don't know where to go, out the back to your left is a welcome center. Somebody there would be more than happy to help direct you to a class. And uh, so we have one more week of that, then September 7th we're back to our normal schedule of two morning services and Bible school in between. So mark your calendars for that. This Wednesday night, our prayer meeting emphasis will be on middle school and high school students. And so we ask middle school and high school students and parents to join us so we can pray for some of your concerns as school's starting up. And so that's uh, Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock in the chapel, if you can join us. 
you've had your summer off, it's time to get to work, right? Just shake your head, yes, yes. In your bulletins and inserts, says help needed at the top. Ministry starting up again in the fall, and they're looking for helpers. And so read over those, pray over those, see if you can be an answer to prayer. And there's some on the front and the back. And so we need willing workers to make our ministries run smoothly, if you would do that. Starting on September 7th during Bible school will be our visitor new member classes. You can come learn about our church, learn about our doctrines. There's no obligation. You don't have to join the church. But if you want to join the church, you have to come to the classes. So uh, instructions are in the bulletin on what to do or call the church office and they'll give you more information. We're also reminding you starting Sunday, September 7th, we'll be starting in the sanctuary here to use the English Standard Version. Those instructions also are in the bulletin. There will be pew Bibles that you can use if you don't have one. And uh, so pay attention to that. That will be coming. And ladies, there's a Beth Moore simulcast coming up September 13th. You've only got a couple more weeks to sign up for that. This is not just a teaching time, it's also an outreach opportunity that you can invite people to, neighbors, friends. And so if you need information, again, out the back to your left, the ladies' ministries, women's ministry has a table down there that you can talk to somebody. Let's pray again this morning. Father, what a privilege and a joy it is for us to worship you. I trust we have directed our thoughts and heart to you this morning that we've worshiped in spirit and in truth. Help us to continue that throughout this service, that we understand this morning the attentions on you and you, your word and what you would have us to do. May we be obedient people as we listen to what you have for us. And may you be blessed and glorified by all that we do this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we're doing a lot of standing this morning, but I think it's difficult to sing this song while sitting. So maybe disagree. I'm not going to tell you how to worship, but I invite us all to stand anyway.
morning. Uh, the privilege for praying for our congregation this morning, and we've had some good music to really draw our hearts to the Lord, so let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we bowed this morning and we said that you are worthy of all praise and all honor, and we want to give that to you as we gather together this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be at this church. We thank you for the freedom we have to gather together. as So many people throughout the world are not able to do that. So we want to give you honor and praise for that. And Father, we've just sung that it's well with our soul. Even though many of us within the congregation are fighting crises like illness or financial issues, whether it be relational issues or, Father, even temptations within our life. Many of us are struggling in those areas. Father, all of us are struggling with temptations, and we pray, Lord, that as Paul shares with us today, that you would give us strength and ability to overcome some of those temptations. May your Holy Spirit work within our life, because you are strong. You are stronger than any other being in the entire universe. We look to you, we praise you, and ask that you would come into our life and do things that are above and beyond our capabilities this week. And Father, we think of those that are, are, are um, going back to school. We think of those in this preschool that will be here. We pray that you bless that program and Sherry and Christine that, uh, that share in that as well. We pray, Lord, you guide them and direct them. We pray for those who are going back to school in the elementary or middle school and high school. We look forward to the opportunity to pray for them this coming Wednesday night. And Father, we think of those who are going off to college and some for the first time. We ask, Lord, you give them strength, that you would empower them to not only to learn, but also to share your word with, with others. We pray, we pray specifically, Father, for Sarah Stahl and for Angela Taylor as they go back to school, as they go back to college, as they represent our college students. Father, we, we pray that you'd give them teachers and give them the ability to learn the classes that they're, that they're supposed to, to learn. Prepare them for the world, for the life that's ahead of them within the world. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done with them, how, you, how you've drawn them to yourself. We would ask, Lord, as they're in college, that you would even do so more, make it deeper, your relationship with them. Then, Father, we also think of those who are in the military. Specifically, we want to pray for Edgar Linville as he's over in Afghanistan and dismantling some of the, uh, some of the areas where the troops have been. We pray that you would give him safety. Lord, that you would give them all wise discernment as they interact with the various things that are dangerous around those compounds. And Lord, we pray that you'd bring him back safely. As he's asked for us to pray for his girlfriend, Shannon, that she, she makes a decision by way of employment. We pray, Lord, you'll give her the discernment she needs to choose the right place to work. And then, Father, we also think of the leaders. As has already been mentioned, there's need for new leaders and new workers within the ministries right here at the church. And we pray, Lord, you would touch our hearts those who should be involved. When we think of those who are leading the church, specifically today we think of Bruce Garner as part of the Education Committee. We ask, Lord, that you would give him wisdom, discernment. Father, there's various issues within his life that he's asking for your wisdom and your will. We ask, Lord, you'd bless him with an understanding of your will and how to act and, and what to do in specific issues, not only in the church but also in the secular work. Father, we would also bring before you um, our missionaries. And Paul asked for boldness. So, fathers, our missionaries are throughout the world, some in safe areas and some in very unsafe areas. We pray that you'd give them boldness to speak when they should speak. Give them an understanding of the people that they're with to be able to speak directly into their heart. May your Holy Spirit empower them. 
let them know that your presence is there. We ask, Lord, that you would use them in such a way that, you would, that they would be able to share your word. We think specifically the Odysseus, Jonathan, and Chantel, as they're in a new area of leadership and they have a desire to do some leadership that would bring greater fellowship within the mission, we pray, Lord, that you would go before them and that as they look to you and have a desire to glorify you, those who are around them will have a great fellowship and have unity as they share your word down, down in um, Peru. And now, Father, as we come before you, we want to give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, that all we have is from you. We ask that you would bless this offering to your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Well, if you would please take out your hymnals, and let's open up to hymn number two together. Now invite us all to stand as we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Hymn number two, let's all stand and sing together. be seated. Please join me for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we realize that we're on holy ground because we're able to sing praises to you, the holy God, the God of this universe. We don't take it for granted what a privilege it is to be able to worship you together. And what a privilege it is now to open your word, to see what it is that you have for us. Understanding that all throughout we keep seeing this love letter of yours to us, to help us to be able to cope with this world, to protect us, to help us to walk in a way that's pleasing to you, which also happens to be the very best thing for us at the same time. So we thank you for that and thank you for the power in your word, for the strength that is here I pray that you'd help each one of us to be very attentive to what it is that you have to say. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at 
a subject of adultery. I'm just guessing, but I'm thinking that if I asked you to list the top 100 subjects you'd like to deal with, this one might not make it. Might not make it to the first 100. But you know what? It's one of the things I love about being able to study systematically through a book in the Scriptures. It actually leads me to believe that it's number one on God's list for us today. Number one, or we wouldn't be there. We wouldn't be there in the Scripture. It wouldn't be there, and it's all God-breathed. It's all inspired of God, and it's all useful for our teaching and reproving and rebuking and training in righteousness. It's, it's all very, very significant. So it may not be in the top 100 on our list, but it's number one on God's list. He has something that he wants to say to each one of us through this subject. So uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to read verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Well, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been learning some things that Jesus has been saying. First of all, we've learned that he did not come to abolish the law, didn't come to abolish the prophets or the writings or the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, whatever we want to call it. He didn't come to abolish it. Sometimes people think he did because they see words like at the beginning of verse 28, the word but. He already starts out saying, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but, and we think there's going to be a contrast. Maybe he's saying something different, but he's, he's not at all. Instead, we've learned that he came to fulfill or fill full the law. We looked at six ways Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. One of the ways was by giving teaching that furthered or strengthened the intentions of the original commands. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking things that the people of that time and we ourselves, we know them, we know them very well, and he's adding some strength to them. One of the things that he's trying to tell us is that He's going right for the heart. He's not looking just for the actions. You may recall as we've been looking at murder, not many people would say I'm a murderer, but by the time Jesus got through with us, by the time Jesus said what murdering is somebody in in the heart has to do with ideas of anger and hatred and calling people all these terrible names, all these other kind of things, we found out uh, there was some murder in each one of us, and there are murderers within our congregation the way Jesus defines that. The same way with adultery. There are those who are sitting here saying, Glad this one doesn't apply to me. Um, Stay tuned, because it could very well apply to each one of us. So we're looking at an example, another example. Jesus will list six in the rest of this chapter. Murder was one this week. The second example is adultery. You have heard that it was said. In other words, the law said. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17, Exodus 20, 14. The seventh commandment and the list of the commandments, you have heard. The people knew that very well. All of us have heard. I doubt if there's anybody here who thinks somehow that adultery is right, although the world keeps trying to tell us that. But we understand from the Scriptures that do not commit adultery means exactly that. And so, again, the point, Jesus didn't agree, disagree with that. He didn't try to abolish it. He didn't try to nullify it. 
And that word abolish actually means to demo or to, to demolish it. He didn't come to do any of that. He didn't come to water it down. He didn't come to dilute it, excuse it, find a loophole in it, minimize it, or modernize it. He came to strengthen it. He came to enhance it. Verse 28 shows how, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Again, Jesus going for the heart. He's going for the inside out. He's not content with outward activity that may not show up as adultery, but there's a lot of inward activity that may very well, under the scrutiny of the all-searching Spirit of God, may be very present in lives. So let's take a look briefly, but we'll take a look at what I call the enhanced command, verses 27 and 28, the enhanced command. The original command we've already seen in verse 27 You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But at the heart of the command, in verse 28, we see this. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully. Lustfully. Greek word, epithumeo. Looking lustfully. It means to have the affections directed toward something. If the affections are directed toward something, that means there's a director who's doing that. That means that we are doing the directing. And to look lustfully is that we're directing our attention on something we shouldn't be directing our attention on. It has to do with the idea of desiring or longing after something. To set the heart upon something. To covet. It's about fantasizing. And, and incidentally, when we're talking about adultery, we could include everything that we're saying here because they're sins of the heart as well any sexual sin. In fact, other sins will come into this as well. It's the whole idea of what's happening internally. So fantasizing, letting the adultery play out in one's mind. When it says anyone who looks at a woman, even that word looks is very significant. It has to do with intentional and repeated gazing. It's not an incidental or involuntary glance. That can't really be helped in many cases. That that happens. But we've got the whole idea here, as one has said a long time ago, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. And you understand the difference between those who are out in this world and we're bombarded with all kinds of things, and we can't help some of that, but we can help that second look. We can help that fantasizing on it and dwelling on it. And we've got to be very protective of that. So the sin of adultery can be committed whether or not the physical act ever takes place. It's the same as we saw with the idea of murder. Adultery is not just a physical act, nor is murder, and that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking here of the person that goes to an NC-17 movie, understanding exactly what is going to be there, and still is doing that. Or the person who selects a TV program for its sexual content, that goes to a beach known for its scanty bathing suits, or worse, or that allows the filthy pornographic trash to come into his home, into his mind, to poison his whole view of life. The one that fantasizes, undresses people in his mind, and dwells on those obsessions. That's where sexual sin of all kinds is coming from. And you see the verse on the screen from Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. It's out of the heart 
that these things are coming. And so Jesus said, let's deal with the heart. Let's not worry about these things as they, as they occur later on and they're physically manifest. Let's deal with them before they happen. Let's make sure that we have clean hearts before any of that happens. Randy Alcorn, some of you know that name, suggests this. He said, a relationship can be sexual long before it becomes erotic or physical. Just because I'm not touching a woman or just because I'm not envisioning a specific erotic encounter does not mean I'm not becoming sexually involved with her. The erotic is usually not the beginning but the culmination of sexual attraction. He said, I once casually asked a woman about her obvious interest in a married man with whom she worked. We're just friends, she responded with a defensiveness that indicated they weren't. It's purely platonic, nothing sexual at all. In a matter of months, however, the two friends found themselves sneaking off to be with each other, and finally their friendship developed into an affair that destroyed both of their marriages. A lady writes this about internet infidelity. I have fallen for an unsung hero online. It started one day when I was at my wit's end after an argument with my husband. I went online to vent and a man was there with a sensitive ear and big heart. As time went by, we would run into each other here and there online. Pretty soon we were looking for each other. Next, I was calling him to hear his voice. I have confided in this man the very intimacies of my marriage. I have given a stranger the capability of blowing my marriage apart with a phone call. A psychiatrist in Atlanta quoting from him, authored a book on infidelity. He says, most affairs are conducted primarily on the telephone rather than in bed. The essence of an affair is in establishing a secret intimacy with someone, a secret that necessarily must be defended with dishonesty. And so what we're called to do here, we're called to not let it get out of hand, not even begin to let it get out of hand. We need to do everything we can in order to avoid that second look, to kill that longing after the wrong person to stop the fantasizing and that's actually verses where verses 29 and 30 come in you look again at verses 29 and 30 they seem very severe and if you don't understand exactly parts of speech in, in scripture and literary techniques you'll you'll think it is very very severe but those two verses are the ones that say if your right eye causes you to sin gouge it out and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let me say at the outset, relax. We're not going to have a pile of body parts up here at the end. I'm not going to ask you to come. There's nobody that's going to have a sword up here, and we're going to do that. But I think you understand what Jesus is saying. John Stott puts it very well. He says, this is an example of Jesus' dramatic figure of speech. A ruthless moral self-denial. Not mutilation, but mortification. I'm killing those things in me that don't belong. Because remember, this is from the heart that we're dealing with this. And I'm going to kill this. And, and one way we can think about this is to think about in terms of if, if a body part is causing trouble, get rid of it. But it's talking in, in, in many, many ways. There are a lot of things we may have to get rid of. Another commentary puts it this way. Jesus' words recorded here have often been misunderstood. Obviously, Jesus was not teaching physical mutilation. For a blind man could have as much of a problem with lust as a sighted person. 
and a man with only one hand might use it also to sin. Jesus was advocating the removal of the inward cause of offense. Since a lustful heart would ultimately lead to adultery, one's heart must be changed. Only by such a change of heart can one escape hell. And he's talking about the unbeliever who's taken away into idolatry and the idolatry of, of, of lust and all of the other things that are present. This means proactively getting rid of the fuel that feeds the fires of temptation with regard to sexual sin, and in this case particularly with adultery. Now here's what it might mean. We might not have a pile here of body parts, but somewhere maybe in our homes there should be a pile if this is leading me into sin or this is a tool or fuel to the sin that I'm engaging in. It may mean to get rid of a smartphone. Make some things that we shouldn't be involved with way too easy. It may mean getting rid of an iPad or a computer or a television or a cable plan or a job or a friendship or the level of a certain friendship. Whatever's necessary to be pure from adultery, it needs to be jettisoned. That's the point that is being made here. We've got to be very proactive with this. We can't allow things to be part of temptations. We get rid of them, and we work on our hearts inwardly. In other words, we need to take drastic steps to avoid the tempting individual or the tempting situations whenever possible. Some very brief biblical teaching about the subject of adultery. Biblical teaching about adultery. Let me show you that picture because it came up there. This is the... Um, We'll, we'll mention this later also. Um, I may not stop a bird from flying into my, onto my head, but I can stop him from building a nest. Keep that in mind with regard to the principle that we've seen already and that we're going to see in a few moments. Somehow it jumped out of place here. I'm not sure how that happened. But some biblical teaching about adultery. Very interesting comments that Alistair Begg has not too long ago. There was a mistake that was made in 1631 in what I'm going to call the reversed version, a translation of the Bible. Uh, it was a mistake. It was the King James Version, one of the, one of the editions of the King James Version. And here's what he says about it. In 1631, the printers of one edition of the King James Bible were fined 300 pounds by Archbishop Laud, the equivalent of a lifetime's earnings. Their crime consisted in leaving one word out of the biblical text. By omitting the word not... They had turned the seventh commandment on its head. And so it read, you shall commit adultery. As a result, this 1631 edition became known as the Wicked Bible. It is hard to imagine a similar reaction today in light of the massive landslide in private and public morality. In other words, it was a big deal in 1631. It wouldn't be a big deal today. People would say it's about time they got that right. It's about time they stopped being intolerant. In 2012, Alistair Begg says, adultery is generally regarded as a private activity between consenting adults with little public consequence. In other words, it's a private affair, and don't worry about it. It's no big deal. That's what, that's what we're being taught today. He says it was not always so. Even we're not having to go back all the way to 1631, but in 1963, some of you will remember this. When Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor began an affair during the filming of Cleopatra, they were shunned. And Elizabeth Taylor was condemned, even in Hollywood, for stealing Burton from his wife. In 1987, Gary Hart withdrew from the Democratic primary because of his relationship with Donna Rice, 
obviously not his wife. Suffice it to say that times have changed, but they shouldn't have changed, but they have. Just to me, when we're talking 1987, 1963, that doesn't seem that long ago. This is Thursday, USA Today. The headline is, Infidelity Has Become Quite a Common Affair. And then it talks about three new TV programs that are based, the whole thing is based on the idea of those who are having adultery. There's, there's shows coming up. One of them is called Married. Another one is called The Affair. Another one is called Satisfaction. They're coming up, and one lady blames Oprah for a lot of things. She says, a generation ago, you never talked about having an affair. Then Oprah got us all talking about these things, says some relationship coach. And now that we're all talking, the next step is we're living things out more and less afraid. I don't even know what that means. And TV's catching up. And then a little later on, we knew there was some comedy to be mined. We knew there was some comedy to be mined. So we're going to take adultery. We're going to feature it in three new programs along with all of the rest of them that are out there now. Adultery is not viewed the way that it used to be viewed, and that's unfortunate. I'd like to make a simple statement at the outset of this biblical teaching about adultery, and I want to get right to the point, and that is that adultery is clearly a terrible sin against your spouse, your marriage, your family, your God, your church, and even yourself. Please understand that. It is a terrible sin that when the stone hits the water, the ripples go out, and there's no telling how many ripples are going to be there. Sinning against yourself, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And it makes that very, very clear. Proverbs 6.32. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Somebody involved in the sin of adultery, the, the whole idea of sexual immorality, destroying himself becomes a moral terrorist, a suicide bomber who not only explodes himself, but everybody else around. The person he commits adultery against, the person he commits adultery with, the families of everyone involved, the friends, the church family, the testimony for the Lord. It is absolutely incredible the damage that this can do in any life. And the most important thing is that it is a sin against God. Potiphar's wife to Joseph. Come to bed with me. Joseph to Potiphar's wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against one, two, three, God? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? There's nothing in the Scripture that wants to water this down at all, and Jesus came and made it even stronger. Please understand this as well. Adultery combines sexual sin with the sins 
of deception, even though some flaunt it today, and maybe they're not trying to be so deceptive, but most people are. The sins of deception, idolatry, covetousness, cheating, self-centeredness, and a long list of other related sins. Please understand from God's Word, if you're involved at all in adultery or you're headed in that direction, it's got to stop. The seventh commandment and the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, says that is forbidden. Do not commit adultery. It doesn't get much clearer than that. If you're on the border, you need to move inland as quickly as possible. Stay as far away from temptation as possible. Uh, Look up here, if you will, please. I don't often ask you to look at me. I'm sorry, but this is one of those times. Picture this. Picture this as kind of a a continuum that is here. I'm safe over here. I'm not involved in adultery. I'm not fantasizing. I'm not doing my heart is right. I'm over here. This is where my fist is. But let's say I'm going to work my way to my elbow, and my elbow is physical adultery. And let's say that I'm going to have 10 steps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, and there I am. And the way many people will treat this, they will say, I'm not here right now. I'm not somebody who is going crazy over this whole, thing, whole idea, uh, but it's okay to be number one here or number two, number three. I'm, I'm safe. I'm no, nowhere near where this is. Uh, I can allow myself. Boys will be boys and all that sort of thing. I can do that. Um, maybe when I start getting to five or six, I'll start to worry about it, and then I'll back off a little bit, and that's the way people reason. But please understand this. Understand it doesn't work this way. Do you know how it works? It works this way. It works this way, and if you're here, that's good. But if you're not here and you're trying to do a one, two, three, four, this is very slippery. It's very, very slippery. And once you get over the edge, once you get over the safety of being here, it just slides down so quickly. That's why with all temptation, we're told stay as far away from it as possible. Don't prove to yourself how strong you can be by saying, I can take it or leave it. I can go wherever I want to. I'll stop whenever I want to. It simply doesn't work that way. Wherever you are, you need to take steps to be pure from adultery. If you're at a one, two, three, four, get out of there and get back to the safety of, the, of zero. Please understand this also. Adultery was a capital offense in the time of the law. Leviticus 20, verse 10, for example. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Now, the penalty may have changed, but the wrongness has not. Now, please hear me on this right now, because some of you will not hear this. If anybody's awake or not awake, give them a quick elbow, but please hear me on this. Adultery, and I want to say this at the outset, adultery is not the unpardonable sin. It can be forgiven. It can be forgiven as any other sin is. If you've committed adultery, what I'm doing this morning is I'm trying to prevent that, but I know that it happens, and I don't want you to say my life is over God will never forgive. He will forgive. But you've got to do it his way. You've got to confess and repent of that sin. And there are a lot of consequences that may still be there. But it's forgivable. Please don't think that it is not. But I'm on the other side of it right now. I'm on the preventive side. I want to prevent this with everything in my being for every person that is here. On the other side of it, we'll deal with that and we can. But I want you to know there is hope no matter what. But God says it's a whole lot better to do it right the first time. So adultery can be forgiven If you want to jot down Psalm 32 or Psalm 51, you'll see that it's not the unpardonable sin. Uh, It can be forgiven. 
I'm going to go in rapid succession right now, listing some safeguards to help us be pure from adultery. Some safeguards to help us to be pure from adultery. First of all, don't be fooled that you are immune to this sin. There are a lot of people who think, this will never happen to me. The Bible says, and it's on the screen, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because it is a prideful position that very often leads to that fall. Don't be fooled that you're immune to this sin. Don't be fooled that you can ignore the safeguards that are in the Scriptures to be apart from that sin. Somebody has said, and I think this is very profound, what level of pride is required to believe that sexual sin could overtake Samson, David, a man after God's own heart, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and a host of modern Christian leaders? So what level of pride is required to believe that sexual sin could overtake all of those people, but not you? What makes you think that you're going to be better than they were necessarily? Secondly, guard your spiritual disciplines. Often those who fall into sexual sin can look back and see the small crack in the dam where they began to be negligent in their personal study and meditation of God's Word or their prayer life, their worship, their fellowship with other believers. Very often, there'll be somebody that will be absent for a while and I'll wonder what's going on and then later I'll find out. Because people who are living in this kind of sin are very uncomfortable with those who practice holiness. Let that be a telltale sign. Don't let there be a small crack in the dam. You'll notice it if you're not guarding your spiritual disciplines, if things are slackening off. And I'm not trying to be legalistic about this and say, well, you've got to hit every time for your devotion. You know what I mean. You know what I mean when you're starting to back away from the things of the Lord. That's a very natural reaction to a very natural bent to sin. But it's not something that God countenances. Guard your spiritual disciplines. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Got to be the feeding that we get. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Don't go out into the world unarmed. Don't go out in a single day unarmed. Uh, and that arming comes from the sword, the, the, the word of God itself. Next, practice the presence of the Lord. Practice the presence of the Lord in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. It says something that's very comforting to some, and it's some, something that's very fearful to others. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He obviously sees everything that's going on. Or Proverbs 5, verses 20 through 21. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. A little fear of the Lord is a great thing. There's only one thing better, and that's a lot of fear of the Lord. And understand he sees everything that is going on. You may be fooling your spouse and your family and your friends and everyone else. And you may be deceiving very, very well. But God's not deceived. And we're told that, that he's not to be mocked. Uh, and, and we reap what we sow. Next, cultivate your marriage. 
love your own spouse the way that God intends. Will you turn with me to Proverbs 5 for just a moment, please? Proverbs chapter 5. Verse 15, we're going to see some metaphors. I think they'll be very clear, especially as we get to the end of the verses that we're about to read. Love your own spouse the way that God intends. That's what it says in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares... Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Cultivate our own marriages. Don't be lazy. Examine your marriage. Look for signals of discontent or poor communication or boredom or taking each other for granted. Apply what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. I won't turn to that right now, but this is Christ writing to the church. This is the groom to his bride. And he's writing to a church, the church at Ephesus, and he says to them, you know what? You've forsaken your first love. You've lost your first love. And some people may feel that in some relationships right now. They may say, you know what? It's not like it used to be. Things are growing a little still. We're taking each other for granted. The feelings aren't there. If you were to say, am I as in love now as I once was, I'd have to be honestly say no. Uh, but Jesus says, you've forsaken your first love. How do you get it back? If you want to take the time to look that up, marriage counseling from Revelation 2, the letters to the seven churches, who would figure? But it's there. It's there, and Jesus says this, and you'll have to look up at me again. I'm sorry, this is twice in one Sunday. But he says, remember the height from which you're fallen. And then he says, repent. Change an attitude that leads to a change of actions. It means do a 180. So remember the height from which you're fallen. Repent. That means we're going to go back where we were. Remember the height from which you're fallen. The love was there the courtship, the engagement period, a lot of excitement, the things were there. Remember the height from which you're fallen, repent, and then it says, and do the things, or return to the things you used to do. The acts of love, the little thoughtfulness, the expressions of love that maybe have grown cold. Cultivate our marriages. Take a good look at your schedule. Take advantage of marriage enrichment opportunities, books, tapes, seminars, whatever may be there. But understand that it is a very dangerous thing to not cultivate my marriage because that's when we become prey to the things that are going on with regard to adultery and other things. Next safeguard, put a no vacancy sign around your life for wannabe paramours to clearly see. A no vacancy sign. In other words, trespassers are not welcome in this relationship. How do you do that? One good way to do that is to always speak respectfully, admiringly, lovingly, and loyally of your spouse. Don't be trashing your spouse. Don't be complaining about your spouse. 
Don't be telling other people what a lousy wife you have or husband you have. All you're doing is opening yourself up for saying, you know what, I am discontent. And there are others around who might make me more content. So speak respectfully, admiringly, lovingly, and loyally of your spouse. Don't discuss your marriage problems with a member of the opposite sex. Even at work or other places, put reminders of your spouse and your children on display. Pictures, drawings, mementos. Tell people, in effect, this is solid what I have here. Nobody's going to intrude on that. Recognize the warning signs of attraction to the wrong person. Many of them we've already mentioned in just a moment. I'll mention several others, but recognize them. And when you've recognized them, don't lie to yourself. Don't rationalize it. Don't try to minimize it. Understand this is a problem that I've got to deal with. And according to what we read in Matthew chapter 5, I've got to deal with it harshly if need be. Take steps to eliminate trouble. Back off at once. One man found that his thoughts were continually drawn to a co-worker, more so than to his wife. After months of rationalizing, he finally admitted to himself that he was looking for reasons to spend time with her. Then his rule of thumb became, I will meet with her only when necessary, only as long as necessary, only at the office, and with others present as much as possible. In time, his relationship with her returned to its original healthy co-worker status because he recognized the warnings of trouble, and he took steps to eliminate them. He backed off at once. Here are some questions to evaluate an unhealthy fascination with the wrong person. Do I look forward with eager anticipation to times of being with that person? Would I rather see this other person than my spouse? Do I manufacture reasons to be with this other person? Do I use deception to keep others from sensing my inappropriate interest? Do I fantasize myself and this other person in illicit behavior? Do I exchange notes or gifts or express affection to this other person unlike I do with anyone else? And here's the crucial question. Is there a name that has jumped into my mind even while this subject is broached? Again, very quickly, be accountable to someone else. Be accountable to someone else of the same gender. Guard your thought life. A battering ram, they say, may hit a fortress gate a thousand times, and no one time seems to have an effect. Yet finally the gate caves in. Likewise, immorality is the cumulative product of small mental indulgences and minuscule compromises the immediate consequences of which were at the time indiscernible. In other words, it keeps eating away and eating away and eating away, and any one time you're not sure it's there, but it keeps on going. Guard your thought life. Don't let it start eating away. Our thoughts are the fabric from which we weave our character and destiny. And again, as Martin Luther said, we can't avoid all sexual stimuli. That's the birds. We can't keep them from flying over our head, but we can keep them from making a nest in our hair. So we guard our thought life. We guard what comes into the heart through the senses. In Job chapter 31, verse 1, it says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. But Job said, isn't that 
something that is so practical and so wise. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Next one is to, and I, I seem to have lost my, seem to have lost my uh, ability to put anything on the screen, but you have it on the outline in front of you. Build hedges around your marriage. Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh according to the lusts thereof. Make no provision for the flesh according to the lusts thereof. That's King James Version. That means, similarly, if you're on a diet, don't go window shopping at Krispy Kremes. <laughs> Not a wise thing to do. And the same thing here, that we've got to be very careful. I want to build hedges around my marriage, which means there are certain places, certain things I am never going to view, I'm never going to see, I'm never going to wander. They are, they are taboo because they're not within the safety of what, with God's help, I've described as the parameters of my marriage relationship. We're taught to flee, avoid, and resist temptation. The next point would be beware of flattery. It is an illusion. It comes in many forms. Beware of words that are coming to you that should only be coming from your spouse. In other words, you're the only one that understands or you make me feel like a real woman. Or it's too bad he doesn't appreciate what he has in you. Or if only I had met you before I met him or her. Or you're so easy to talk to. Somebody saying things like that to you. Remember what we've been taught already. Time to take a drastic step to eliminate that person from our relationships. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 to 19 say, it's talking about wisdom. It says, it, wisdom, will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife and her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. If you ever want to go to Proverbs chapter 5 and 6 and 7, you will see much the same of, as what I just read. Warnings about the adulterer and the adulteress. Probably no story better illustrates how the sweet stolen waters of adultery turns invariably sour. No story other than that some of you are very familiar with the story of Camelot. It's that epic tale, the relationship of King Arthur and Queen Guinevere is trespassed upon when Arthur's most renowned and trusted knight, Lancelot, gingerly slips his toe across the marital boundary. It started with a look, an innocent look, without premeditation or evil intent, but it was a short, slippery step from a look to lust, from infatuation to infidelity. The look eventually led to a touch. The touch sometime later led to a kiss, the kiss to adultery, and adultery to tragedy. The end of Camelot. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You think Jesus was serious about that? He certainly was. Heavenly Father, may we be as serious as Jesus was in guarding our marriages, in guarding our hearts, in guarding our thought life, and doing whatever is necessary to expunge from all of those areas, those things that tempt us to any kind of sin, but in particular this morning as we're dealing with sexual sin and with adultery, may we be pure in our hearts from that sin.
and certainly pure in our bodies for the sake of all because we understand that this is really a suicide bomber who's walking around if adultery... Please take out our hymnals and open up to hymn number 379. I want to invite us all to stand as we sing together, Take My Life and Let It Be, 379. Let's sing. Take my life and let it be consecrated. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee, swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee, filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose, every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Heavenly Father, thank you that You've called us to be salt, light, and fragrance in this world, which means that we're going to be different. We will be viewed as prudish and old-fashioned and out of touch and all kinds of things, and that's okay.
but help us never to be viewed as disobedient to your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.